0: How to Create a Glitch Monologue Season 31, Chapter 9. This is Season 31 of How to Create a Glitch in the Matrix Monologues Episode 9. In this episode, we will be elaborating how the tonic dominant relationship fits into our discussion of dissonant consensualities. Up until now, we have largely discussed the tonic dominant relationship separately from our discussion of consensual and non-consensual realities. This wasn't an oversight but rather the extension of an underlying contradiction at the center of dissonant spaces. Let me explain. A tonic-dominant relationship creates a conjoined consensuality when it is between two people. But, when it is between one self in a conjoined space and another in a dissonant space, it creates a kind of schism between the two halves of self. When a dissonant consensuality separates from a conjoined consensuality, It represents the expression of an underlying inhibited impulse. This means that the behaviors which underlie that impulse must be expressed. More importantly, these uninhibited impulses are essentially consensual in nature, which means they do not release tension, so to speak, but rather capture it. In the dissonant space, therefore, the actions represent a rising intention. In the conjoined space, a stable level of tension. Thus, The distinction between the self in a dissonant space and in a conjoined space is the same as the distinction between the dominant and the tonic. In other words, in the dissonant space, the individual acts as a dominant pursuant to some tonic. In the conjoined space, the individual acts as a tonic. The generation of decontextualization, depersonalization, generation of orthogonal thought, produces impulses along a stream of consciousness, which possesses a great deal of tension. This tension is appropriated, or rather, the release of that tension is appropriated according to social reinforcement. In the act of inhibition, the dissonant self, which is a dominant, tears away from the tonic, conjoined self, experiencing a snowball effect upon which impulses are expressed in the dissonant space. In effect, the greater the tension corresponding to the decontextualizing thought, The more powerful the impulses, the more difficult they are to repress. And in this repression, there is a shattering of the self into a dissonant self, which is dominant, and a conjoined self, which is tonic. This is followed by appropriation of the stream of consciousness reflective of the orthogonal thought chain according to social reinforcement. Now, interestingly, who ultimately appropriates the dissonant impulses of the orthogonal thought chain? Remember when we mentioned that there is a subculture of people who live behind the curtain, for whom time is no obstacle. The kinds of orthogonal thoughts which engender a division of self into a dissonant space are those which reveal the unusual, hidden, behind-the-curtain aspects of reality. Thus, those with the social reinforcement to appropriate these impulses are those who already have them. Those part of this subculture How does all of this manifest practically? The appropriation event will occur in concert with a discussion about your ideas, your work, the work product of your decontextualization. They will be acting out the resolving impulses of that stream of consciousness in the process. Thus, to conclude, whether one is in a tonic or dominant role, is often reflective of whether one is in a dissonant or conjoined space, though not always. When one resists a powerful impulse, it can sometimes engender a splitting of the self into a dissonant and conjoined consensuality. This means that in the dissonant space, the self is acting as a dominant and the self accrues greater social tension, needing a release, which occurs through the appropriation of those behind the curtain. Those who have already experienced the truth of the simulation. That's the end of the podcast for today. If you enjoyed it, please like, comment and subscribe.